Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Everybody doing well today? Yes. It's good to. It's awesome, and it's a great opportunity for me to be able to be with you today. My wife's not able to join me. Uh, my father-in-law is 96 years old. Isn't that good news? Yes. Doing well, and she's spending some time with him. And anytime uh, you can spend time with your 96-year-old father, that's a great, great opportunity. And uh, it's a joy to be here. I'm honored to be able to be with you. You know, Pastor Derek, his family's on vacation, as you know. And uh, it's a, so it's a privilege for me to be able to stand in for him. If you're here for the very first time, come back and hear Pastor Derek. He's an uh, amazing communicator. So it's a joy for me to be able to stand in his stead today. I take that very seriously. And uh, I'm blessed today because, you know, God's word will affect every area of your life. Isn't that true? The worship was awesome. Our hearts are wide open. What a great opportunity now to, to hear God's word and to be blessed by what God has to say today. Uh, I pastor International Family Church. I'm the founder and senior pastor for the last 34 years. Uh, I know I look great for my age. We started at nine. Uh, you expected me to say something like that, right? But uh, it's a joy to be here and to be in relationship with this church is, is a great experience I love your pastors. I love the dream team here. You got a great thing going here. I know you know that that's why you come here. This is an awesome church. How many would agree with that? Awesome church. Awesome leadership. Uh, Pastor Derek, what I love about Pastor Derek and Stacy is, and their team, their family, they do everything with the right motives. Uh, they really have clean hands, pure heart. That's what I love about them. Um, I get to have some inside information about Derek and his, Pastor Derek and his life and his family, and, and uh, I'm honored to be able to be in relationship like this, so it's a joy for me to be back, and uh, I'm going to do what I do best. I'm not a frustrated evangelist. Um, I'm a pastor, and so I'm going to do what I do best, and I've got a word today that I believe I, I want to pastor into your heart and help you uh, be a, 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 in a place where your hearts can be open today. Uh, and, you know, it's a partnership, and I pray you didn't come today just to show up for church. I pray that you're here and you're using your faith while you're here. Amen. Because in partnership, we can get a lot more done. Amen. If you're just here to check me out, you're just here to listen to a speech, you're not going to get much out of it. Uh, but if you're here, you know, in partnership together, and we're going to believe God together that God's will will be done, let me tell you something, something wonderful is going to happen to your life. Amen. Something supernatural will take place in your life, if you're here in faith, believing, because I'm sure everyone here has questions, everyone here has some kind of need, everyone here is overwhelmed by something, and I just believe that God in his word is going to come to your rescue today and give you exactly what you need, and I'm believing with you that you will not leave the same way you came in today. How many are with me? Amen. Come on, let's pray. Let's believe God for that today. Father, in Jesus' name, what a joy it is to be able to be here today. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I thank you, Father, for this high honor to be able to stand behind this sacred pulpit today. And Father, we as a congregation, we pray for Pastor Derek and Stacy. We pray for their family. We pray as they rest, they'll have a great family time. Lord, their, their soul will be refreshed. They'll make great memories. They'll have lots of fun and come back to us rested, well-rested, and ready to run after the vision. We, we surround them with our love. We surround them with our faith. We bless them in the name of Jesus today. And I pray, Father God, that in this room, in this environment, there's liberty and there's freedom. I pray, Father God, that your word will come across with clarity, with accuracy, and simplicity, so we can immediately apply it to our lives. I believe, Father God, that, that what we're about to hear will transform us, will change us, will make us better for being here. So, Father, we're so careful, as always, to give you all the honor all the glory, all the praise, because you're the only one that's worthy of it all. Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. So I pray this next week that you really do pray for your pastor. Um, statistics tell us that 1,800 to 2,200 pastors quit every month. That's a crazy figure, isn't it? I'm not mistaken. That's, that's the number. Why? Well, many are, are burnt out. Many disqualify themselves for poor choices. That's why it's so important that we keep our, our, our staff in prayer. We surround them with our love. They get away, get refreshed. And so keep him in your prayers this week. And uh, um, he, uh, you know, texts me be, be before service and just to encourage me and to, to say to greet you again, to say he loves you guys. And 
appreciate you so much and, and uh, looking forward to getting back in the pulpit very soon. Well, let's, let's minister God's word today. Today I have a word that I believe is a practical, very practical word that touches everyone where we're at. This is something that every one of us deal with. Uh, Pastor Derek recently finished a series on the home. So I want to not necessarily do on the home, but more on relationships today. I kind of want to keep that, that kind of that feel going here today. And it's something that, you know, it's God's will that our relationships are harmonious, that we have peace in our relationships, that we are free from dissension and strife and hurt. But really, in reality, that, that is not even close to how some people would describe their lives, not even close how some people would describe their relationships. I'm amazed how many people go from conflict to conflict. They don't go from faith to faith. We don't go from victory to victory. They go from one battle to the next battle. I'm amazed how quickly people's emotions can erupt. Uh, you know, going from zero to 100 in 1.3 seconds, uh, give them a wrong look, say this the wrong word, and man, it can be explosive very quickly. I do a lot of premarital counseling. Uh, most of our pastoral staff do. And uh, I'm amazed in getting couples ready how they think it's normal to communicate always fighting, always arguing, always at a moment's notice just going nuclear very quickly, it seems. And where'd they learn that? They obviously learned that from either their parents, they learned that from their close relationships. They think that's normal. And so we live our lives in constant strife and conflict, when in fact Jesus said that we're supposed to live in peace, that we're supposed to use peace as an umpire, that we're supposed to be maintainers of peace, makers of peace, that peace is there for our protection, and we must learn to walk in peace and to live in peace. But many people don't know how. They've not had that privilege. They've not lived in that environment. It's not been their experience, and so they are byproducts of of what they were brought up in and in their present set of circumstances. And so we think that's normal when, in fact, we know it's not. In fact, contention and strife, it's really, it's ending our marriages. It's, it's embittering our children. Um, it's alienating our friends. It's bankrupting our health. It's splitting churches. It's, it's stealing our peace. And that's not God's will. That's not God's best. And if you want to live in the power of God, if you want to live in the the blessings of God, then we have to learn that when the opportunity for strife comes, not to take it. But how do we do that? When in so many cases, we've lived our lives to take advantage of every one of those moments that our flesh has been so trained to fight whether we hear the bell or not. Um, and we must recognize today there is a better way. And I want to help you understand that better way today. See, it's so interesting to me that the disciples witnessed all these miracles that Jesus did. Constantly, miracle after miracle. They were eyewitnesses of blind eyes opening, the dead raising. They, were, they heard firsthand Jesus take authority over a life-threatening storm. They saw firsthand God take, Jesus take a few fish and a few loaves and feed a multitude of people. They were in awe of the miracle-working power of God. They were in awe, and the, and, and the Bible tells us that, that there wouldn't be enough volumes of books to, to, to account for all the miracles of Jesus that he performed in his short ministry on this earth. But of all those miracles, it was not the miracles of Jesus that made the disciples get to the brink of doubt. It wasn't the miracles of Jesus and standing in awe of all the power of God that, that made them cry for greater faith. In fact, it wasn't that at all. What was it? What was it that caused the disciples to cry out for greater faith? Well, we read it in Luke 17, 3 and 5. It says this, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Notice their immediate response. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> wow. So it wasn't the dead being raised that stretched their faith. It wasn't blind eyes being opened that stretched their faith. 
It wasn't storms that were life-threatening that stretched their faith. It was what happens to them and what they're supposed to do when they're wronged. Now, isn't that the challenge for all of us? Isn't that really what stretches our faith? Isn't that what stretches us every single day when somebody says something that really hurts our feelings or something that was really unnecessary, you know, an approach to something that was way over the top and somebody who, who were just was in a slice and dice mode and it was not even necessary to go that route. And, and is there anything else that stretches our faith more than when somebody hurts us? When a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a friend or a leader does something that really was so unexpected that it throws us off and causes us to absolutely be in wonderment of what in the world is going on. The simple command to forgive those who wronged you brought the disciples to the brink of doubt, brought the disciples to say, whoa, I don't have faith for that. Increase my faith. Well, I pray today that something that I say, something that the Spirit of God says, we had an amazing, wonderful first service. I just pray that, that we'll build on that today and give you some answers, give you some solutions, give you some solutions so you don't have to go around thinking that, that this thing is just so impossible to live in peace, to live in harmony, to have, have fruitful, fulfilling relationships. Could that be possible? And the answer is absolutely yes. At one of our recent services, somebody came up to me in great frustration. In fact, I'm going to use their statement to me as the title of this message. And she said to me out of great frustration, she said, she said help me. I'm tired of being offended. I'm tired of being offended. Now, I know that can relate to every one of us today. Maybe you really are here tired of being offended. Tired of going from one battle to the next battle. Tired of being in that place where you're constantly living in a place of sadness because your heart is so hurt and your soul is so overwhelmed. And if you find yourself in that place, maybe, maybe you just came out of it, maybe you're there, and one day you'll get back into it, and we'll explain why in a moment. But we need to understand how to deal with this important subject. Now, here's my big takeaway Every Sunday, I like to give one big takeaway, something, something sticky, something that hopefully sticks with you past lunch, um, something that you will, won't forget. Perhaps you might forget a bunch of other things I say today, but perhaps this statement uh, might be something that really hits home today and helps you. And so here's, here's the big takeaway today. You may not be able to do anything about how other people act, but you can do a lot about how you act. Now, we're not going to talk about the people that offended you today. That's another subject. We're not going to talk about what they said, what they did. I want to talk about you today. I want to talk about your heart today. I don't want to waste time at this point in time about them. Because there's always certain people, man, they just love hurting people. They're just professional, contentious, contentious people. They seem they just love a good argument. They love to have the last word. They love to always prove their point. They will win at all costs, even though they lose most of the time. And so we need to be in a place where we, we, how do we handle that person? How do we deal with those situations? I want to deal with you today and, and not necessarily all the excuses that we give and all the reasons why I'm so mad and upset and all the points that we can accurately depict about this and this and this the other person said. It's not about them today. It's not about them today. You may not be able to do anything about how other people act, but you can do a lot about how you act. Here in Luke 1, Jesus had some very important things to say about offenses. And let's read them. Luke 1, Luke 17, 1. He said, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> so according to this verse we read, it's not a question of opportunity to be offended, but what your response will be. So it's not a matter of if you'll be offended. It's what will you do when you're going to be offended. Because it's going to come to everybody. I don't care who you are. You can be the nicest, most laid-back person. You, you, you can be a knight in shining armor. You can be the, the, the greatest 
um, uh, princess and prince around with the greatest personality, and Jesus said, he said, I think he knows a few things, he said, it's impossible that no offenses should come. So it's an unfortunate fact that some people have been trapped by offense. They're held captive today. Maybe you're here. You're held captive. Every waking moment, you're thinking about those words, the look on that person's face, the sting that you felt when you heard those words. You're at that place where you, 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 you close your eyes and you hear it. You open your eyes and there they are. And it never fails. You, you wake up, you go to sleep during the day. It's just you rehearse it and rehearse it. And the more you do, the more upset you become. And many people are held captive today. Many people can't reach their full potential today because of it. Many people, relationships are on hold. And many are in a place where they're just numb and they don't know what to do. And they've been burnt so many times. And they're thinking, I don't know how to deal with this and, and, and you're overwhelmed by this and, and everyone at some point in time of their lives have either been hurt by somebody close to you or you have hurt somebody close to you. And I meet good people on an ongoing basis that cannot daily deal with the normal aspects of life. Oh, they're good actresses. They're good actors. It looks like from the outside, they're, they're doing what they're doing. They're raising their kids. They're, they're going to work. They're trying to pay the bills. They, they go to church. They, they try to do the right things. But man, inside, there's this constant rumbling in their soul. And, and it's constant. And they're handicapped. And, and, and they know it. And they don't know how to deal with it. And most often, it's someone close to them that's hurt them. Now, the psalmist laments about this very thing. He understood, and here's what he says about it. Psalm 55, 12 to 14. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walk together to the house of God. See, these are the people that we sit with. These are the people we share a meal with. These are the people we spend the holidays with. We attend social functions with. We share office space with. Or perhaps even closer, these are people we've grown up with. We've, we've confided in. These are the people that stand behind the pulpits and teach us. We've opened our hearts to people. And perhaps these are even the people that you sleep next to. So these are folks that, that, that mean something to us. These are folks that we can't get away from. These are folks that are in our lives. These are folks that are, are challenging to us. And the closer the relationship, it seems, the more severe the offense. You often find the greatest hatred among people who were once close. See, the possibility of offenses is as long as the list of the different types of relationships that we have in our lives. No matter how complex or simple, this truth remains. Only those you care about can hurt you. Only those you care about can hurt you. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is simple. I'm not going to care anymore. The answer is simple. I'm not going to let myself go there anymore. The answer is simple. I'm done loving. I'm done trusting. I'm done going to that church. I'm done listening to that person. I don't need to buy this. I don't need to spend time with this. I don't need to go there. I'll get another job. I'm, I'm done with caring. And we've cared so much that we've got burnt so often, and we figure, we think that's the answer. I just won't care anymore. Because if I don't care about you, you can't hurt me. And so we get angry. We get offended. We, we stand back, and we, we got something to prove now. I'll show you. I'm not going to care anymore. And so we allow circumstances to turn us into a person God never intended for us to be. Oftentimes, I meet people. I never meet the real them. I meet the person they are today that circumstances turn them into. Hurt made them that way. Their past mistakes made them that way. Their life and, and the unfortunate set of circumstances made them that way. 
I've been pastoring 34 years. I'm just now getting to know some people who have been brand new in Christ. And, and, and over the years, their mind's been renewed. The word of God has come to their rescue. And I'm finally meeting the real them. Their walls finally came down. The real them is finally coming alive. They finally forgiven. They finally got over the ex and finally got over that loss and finally got over that, that mistake and that regret that weighed tons and, and, the, and, the, and the challenge of the dread of what might happen again. So we think oftentimes, well, the way to deal with this is just don't care anymore. Here's the problem with that. People can't, God can't use people who don't care. So you got a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Well, well, if I care, I, I might set myself up for hurt. But if I don't care, God can't use me. I want God to use me. I don't want to be here just to take. I don't want to be here just to be an offended person for the rest of my life, stuck in whatever year I was offended in. So i got to make a choice. So obviously, God has a plan. God, we're going to find something out here. I'm taking a little bit longer with this point, I guess on purpose, more than I did in the first service, because it's important that we make the right choice. And God's Word gives us the strategy, helps us to know that we can care. And we can be in a place where we can care and learn how to deal with the stuff that happens, the issues that happens when we do care. Because God wants you to care. God wants you to love. God wants you to serve. God wants you to be a blessing. God wants you to give of yourself. There's no better way to live than give of yourself and to give of your heart and to be free from anger and resentment. That's God's plan, and that's his purpose, and that's what he wants for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Well, let's break this down in the few minutes we have left. Back to verse 1 of, of, of Luke 17. Jesus said again, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. Well, that word offense comes from the word, Greek word scandalon. It's where we get the English word scandal. Here's what a scandalon is. Scandalon is that small piece of wood that props open an animal trap. That's a scandalon. You put the food inside the trap. So the animal is attracted to the food, ignoring the scandalon, the little stick. As he goes for the food, he brushes the scandalon, the scandalon falls, and the door closes, and the animal is trapped. That's a scandalon. That's an offense that we, 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 we don't realize it's there. We're so moved by something else that we don't realize it's a trap. And we hit the stick and fall in the trap. All right, we have 64 different nations at International Family Church, thus the name. Um, and talking about this some years ago and on a different subject, one of our Africans came up to me and said, Pastor, this reminds me of a story of how we catch monkeys. I said, okay. He said, do you know how we catch monkeys? I said, no, I haven't thought about it much. Um, how we catch monkeys, but I, I, I want to learn. So how do you catch monkeys? He says, well, monkeys are so fast and monkeys are so agile that they're hard to shoot, bow and arrow, whatever it is. They're just so hard because they're so quick and agile. So here's what we do. We take a coconut, we chop the top off, we empty out the inside, we put the favorite food of the, the monkey inside the coconut, we drill a hole, we put a rope into the bottom of the coconut, we tie it to a tree, and we wait for the monkey to show up. The monkey shows up. The monkey puts his hand inside the coconut, closes his hand over the food, and now he's stuck. And because he won't let go, we catch the monkey every single time. Now, that monkey has every ability to do what? Let it go. But he doesn't. He's hungry. He's been trapped again. He's been trapped by the bait. He takes the bait. He could do this and run away into freedom, but he doesn't do it. And how many of us are just like the monkey? We grab it every single time. Every time we know, that's going to hurt. I, I can't do it that way. I can't receive it that way. I can't be around that person. Every single time, we just like the monkey. 
we get trapped. That's the scandal on. That's the trap. We can let go if we wanted to. We should let go, and we know we should. We know we shouldn't go there, but we go there every single time, and every single time we get hurt. An offense usually occurs when you see, hear, and experience a behavior that is so different than what you expected that it causes you to falter and actually stumble in your soul. It's your soul that stumbles. It's your soul that falters. You're so overwhelmed by, what? What did he just say? What? Where did, where did that come from? And you are so taken off guard that it so shocks you that it opens your heart to be hurt. You're so stunned. And the shock turns into disbelief, the disbelief into disappointment, the disappointment into anger, and your anger into offense. It happens every single time. Luke 17, 1, the opportunity says the opportunity comes to every one of us. As long as you live and breathe, you're going to have to deal with this nuisance called offense. I can't tell you how many people I meet on a daily basis that are stuck. I say it this way. They're saved, sanctified, and stuck. Stuck. Good people. Stuck. Good people in a place where they never dreamed they'd still be there. Good people just don't know how to move forward. The Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says nothing about buying real estate. But yet so many of us buy property where we're not supposed to buy property. So many of us get stuck in places and buy into a place where we're only supposed to keep walking, keep marching, let it go. Hmm. So how do we do this? Let's get to this place to understand what Jesus says about this. Let me move on and go right to my first point here today. And I'm going to just stay on this one point. I got a few points to to back this point up, but here's what we do. Let me get to the solution. Um, Here's what I've learned. And before I say that, let me say this, that I've been pastoring IFC for 34 years. I've been in the ministry 39 years. And like anybody else, when I first started IFC, you know, in my mid-20s, in that place where, man, just, you know, my father's a pastor, both my grandfathers are pastors. I understood church life, but, but man, it, it's just, you know, you want people to like you, and I was getting offended every other day. People don't like this. People don't like that. They want to form and fashion this new church. It needs to be like this. I want it like this. And you start getting all these different nationalities and cultures, and everybody has an opinion. And I was finding myself up and down, all roller coaster emotions, wanting to do what's right, but finding myself not enjoying ministry at all realizing that this couldn't be this way if I wanted to be around a long time. This couldn't be this way if I was going to enjoy what I do. If I was going to enjoy my calling, this couldn't be the way it happens. I wanted longevity. And if I wanted longevity the way I was doing it presently at the time, I was not going to be around very long. I'd either be mad, upset, um, in heaven before my time. Whatever the case may be, I knew this wasn't right. See, longevity is what we all want, Right? I want to be married a long time. I want to have friends for a long time. I want to to have relationships at church for a very long time. I want to be healthy for a very long time. I want to be continually prosperous for a very long time. And so see, getting this right is the key to longevity. I want my health good for a very long time. I want my mind and my soul and my level of fulfillment to be that way for a very long time. So I realized I needed help. I realized something had to change if I wanted longevity. And something has to change if you want longevity also. Here's our main point today. Number one, if you want to be able to live in a place where you are saying no thank you to opportunities of offense. Number one, you need to activate the God kind of love. You need to activate the God kind of love. Now, I can't spend a lot of time on this. My, my time's running from me here today. But you need to understand something, that this love of God, you, you might say, well, okay, if I need this, uh, uh, how do I get it? What are, where is it? How do I do this? Well, as a follower of Christ, the good news is it's already in you. Amen. 
You already have what you need about what I'm talking about today. What Jesus already told us is a, is, a, is a done deal. The opportunities will come. Thank God he put a force, a power inside of you that if you could learn to activate, you could absolutely learn how to do a much better job dealing with your opportunities for offense. Romans 5.5 5 says, God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. It's already in you. He gave us his love through the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. So thank God what you need to be unstuck, what you need to let go, what you need to toughen up. Not get hard because you get hard, you get brittle and you break. But to toughen up and to learn how to be stronger in your relationships is already in you. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, has become very dear to me. And uh, a little of my story in the year 2002 in ministry, it was the year from hell. I mean, it was, a, it was a torturous year. I won't go into the details, but it was just a tough year as a pastor, as a church. It's just, I didn't want that year repeated. But 2003 was upon me, and I realized that I, I can't stop going to the next year. Something had to change, and I'm crying out to God. I, something obviously in me needs to get better. And the Lord said to me that you need to establish a strong, secure love walk. He said, in order for your faith to work like it needs to, like you, where you want to go, you can't go there without your faith, but faith works by love. He said, if you want your faith to grow, if you want to accomplish some things that I've given you to do that's, a, that's part of your call that are attached to your assignment, then you need to go deeper in love because the deeper you go in love, the greater you can accomplish in faith. So I began, he gave me instructions to read these four verses every day until he tells me to stop. 2003, 2004, most of 2005, I read these verses every single day. There's about a dozen different declarations that I have with it that I do on a regular basis until today. I still do four to five times a week. And here in the Amplified Version is what I read on a regular basis. And here it is in verse 4 to verse 8. Let me read these very quickly, and then we'll move on. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Man, that's enough right there. We can all go home. Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, or when I say it, God's love in me, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. Wow, that kicks my butt every time I read it. It's not touchy, fretful. And resentful. How do you do that? It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are faithless under all circumstances. It endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. I want to challenge you today, if you're challenged about anything in life, I would challenge you to start reading these four verses every day and watch what the Spirit of God will do for you. Pastor, what happens if I activate this kind of love? What happens if I yield to this and open up my heart to this kind of love? What will happen for me? What will take place? Well, four very important life-changing things happen when you activate and yield to what I just read, the love of God. Number one, it will destroy pride and selfishness. It will destroy pride and selfishness. We already read verse five. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. The number one reasons relationships break apart, pride and selfishness. See, in every relationship, there's a giver and a taker. Which one are you? For the first half of my marriage, I was absolutely the taker. There is no way I could ever come close to the giving nature of my wife. I still can't. But my goal now is to outgive the giver. That's my goal. That's my desire. 
I've learned that taking is just not the right way. It's, you know, so what you get your own way? So what you, 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 you wear somebody out so much that they just finally give in? You think you won, but you didn't win at all. You lost royally. But this activating this love of God absolutely destroys pride and selfishness. And I'm grateful today that there's a different attitude growing inside of me. And I pray that you too will say enough and stop being the taker and begin to learn how to be the giver. Number two, it reduces your touchiness. Wow. We're all so touchy. We really are. We're all so touchy. Verse 5 says, it is not touchy. See, when God's love becomes your filter, you're able to control your emotions so they don't control you. We're all so touchy. Let me tell you something. I'm Italian. I'm touchy. I tell people, don't mess with my emotions. I like my feelings. I know you Latinos do too, and I know you Portuguese do too. It's not just us Italians. I know I didn't say Irish in the first service, and some Irish man came up to me and said, you didn't say Irish. You always hear the Irish out, you Italians. <laughs> uh, so whatever nationality you are, we are all so touchy. Will we all agree in this room? We're way too touchy, absolutely. And here's probably the best advice I can give you. When you're upset and you're in the middle of blowing a a stack, and man, you're going nuclear, you're in that place where you're not happy, and you're being offended, or you're being overwhelmed, here's the best thing I can tell you. Don't ask yourself for advice. <laughs> right? Don't ask yourself for advice. When you're in the middle of your emotions and your soul is just going crazy, that's not the time to ask what you should do. That's not the time to say, because your emotions are going to do what? Yeah, give me a piece of your mind. That's right. Tell them a good thing or two. Go ahead. Just go ahead and slice and dice. They, they deserve it. Don't let them have the last word, and your soul will always side on the edge of touchiness. Your soul will always want to give away more pieces of your mind, and you've given so many pieces of your mind away that you can't afford to give any more of them away. <laughs> Hold on to all that you have left, right? So we recognize Solomon did the same thing. He tells us in Ecclesiastes 1.17, and he said this. He said, he took counsel with his own mind, and in essence, he concluded, it was like searching after the wind. It was a futile experience. It never worked. Our minds tell us to be upset if someone offends us, but God says to let it go. There's a story in the Bible when Paul was on the island of Malta. I won't go into all the details except he's standing there at the beach with some people that he just met. There's a big bonfire burning. He stands over the fire. We know the story. A poisonous snake comes out of the fire and bites him in the hand. And so the people there on the island stand back and say, whoa, what, what, what evil has this man done that he should be bitten by a poisonous snake? They stand back to wait to watch him die. He does not die. What does he do? He shakes it off. Every time you get bit by a poisonous snake, every time you get bit by the poisonous snake of offense, the first thing you need to do is shake it off. The first thing you need to do is shake it off. When people, when you hear somebody talking about you, you need to shake it off. When you're ready to blow a cork, you need to shake it off. When you're there and temptation's flooding your soul to go where you know you went before and it hasn't been good, you need to... Shake it off. See, this is important that we recognize how true this is. See, frustration won't stop on its own. It keeps rising your pressure and your heart beats louder and you're faster and your palms start to sweat and your face turns red and your ears turn red. And man, you just, it's just, it's, you can't believe you're about to go where you're about to go. But only you can shut it off. Only you can let it go. Only you can shake it off. And it's imperative that, that, that you need to know that oftentimes because we get in that state, we blow things out of proportion more than necessary. We make the biggest things out of the smallest things because we're just so touchy. We're so touchy. We have so, we have so advanced our touchiness 
we've so been in touch with our touchiness that that's the first place we go is being touchy because we've gotten really good at it. We've gotten really good at it. And in fact, it has become one of our own worst enemies. Number three, when you activate the love of God, it blocks the wrong from entering in. It blocks the wrong from entering in. We read it in verse 5. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. I used to read that and think, how in the world is that possible? Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else. There's a lot of things in life that are really important. There's a lot of things in life that, man, you could put on, on your priority list and say, man, these are pretty important. These will get top five priority in my life. But here, above all else, there's something we need to do here. Above everything that you do in life, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For it determines the course of your life. How well are you at guarding your heart? That word guard is a military term. And it's, a, it's in reference of someone who is armed to the teeth, so to speak, armed to the max, bulletproof vest, I mean the, the armor on from head to toe, fully loaded, you know, locked and loaded like an armed sentinel at, a, at the White House or Fort Knox or someplace where something of value is at. And the Bible says, above all else, yeah. above all else, yeah. above all else, this needs to be your top priority, above all else. I mean, the other things are important, don't get me wrong. But above all else, we're to guard our hearts like he's pleading with us. You want this to work? You've got to do a better job at guarding your heart. You've got to do a better job at guarding your heart. And, and Colossians 3.15, Jesus says, uh, the Apostle Paul says, and let, meaning you let it, and let peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule and act as an umpire continually in your hearts. Listen, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind. You're thinking, I'm going to give this person the peace of my mind. Peace as an umpire comes and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you're better than that. No, peace continually it rules. It's always on guard. It's always working. It's always helping. It's always working with your spirit man. It's always being in that place where you recognize, whoa, wait, 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 wait. No, peace as an umpire says, no, get out of here. The umpire calling balls and strikes and, and whether you're safe or you're out. And you need to let somebody, you need, you need to have peace working in your heart. There's no better way to be led by your spirit than to follow after peace. That shows you you're mature. When peace says, don't go there, and you don't. When peace says, no, they're not welcome here, and they're not welcome here. Peace becomes that umpire. Peace becomes that thing that it helps you to, to not allow the wrong from entering in. And last but not least, number four, it enables you to believe the best. This is hard, but it's very important. It enables you to believe the best. Verse 7 says in 1 Corinthians 13, is ever ready to believe the best of every person? I don't know why I didn't see it. I read it for years. I don't know why it just didn't stick out to me, but one, one morning reading this, and suddenly it leaped off the page in big letters like you know how that happens sometimes. And I read it like I read it for the first time, and it stuck. It got right in my heart. Ever ready to believe the best? Of every person, I realized I was not ever ready for that. I was ever ready for a good fight. I was ever ready that I wouldn't let you take advantage of me. I was ever ready to do whatever I had to do and be that mouthy, smart aleck answer. And I realized, oh God, I'm not ever ready to believe the best. Oh, it was easy to believe the best of people that were similar to me, similar lifestyle, similar background, similar taste, similar age, season of life, um, similar taste. That, that, that's probably a little bit easier. But to be ever ready to believe the best of every person? Wow. And the Lord began to teach me how to think the best. And really, when you are ever ready to believe the best, 
When you're ever ready to be in that place where you want to do what's right, whether you do it or not, your heart is to do what's right. You're longing to learn how to do what's right. Suddenly, there's this gap that happens. Before you explode, something else happens, and you begin to realize, wow, what kind of day is that person having? They would say such a dumb thing. What kind of, per- what kind of, what kind of life are they leading? They would cut somebody off on purpose like that in traffic. What what kind of life is that person living? They they would do that to their wife. They would do that to their son. They would say that and act that way. What in the world could possibly be happening in their life? Oh, God, have mercy on them. What kind of life are they leading that they would do such a thing? And you begin to train your soul. Your mind gets renewed to the fact that you begin to believe the best. And I've had had siblings... uh, um, Children forgive their parents because what in the world was dad must have been? What kind of dad did he have? What kind of life did they live? What kind of situation? No excuse for their behavior, absolutely not. But you begin to realize, whoa, there are reasons why people act the way they do. And suddenly you get more in touch of that. And you're not as touchy. And suddenly you begin to have more feelings for the person that's exploding and the person that's about to try to hit you between your eyes. I'm not suggesting that I'm perfect at this. I'm not suggesting that I've arrived at this, so don't don't try to offend me today. (laughs) Let me tell you, I'm a far lot longer where I used to be, far farther away. It is now harder, I didn't say impossible, harder to offend me. Here's what we usually do. We usually deal with it after we're offended, right? We get offended. We're a mess for a while. We realize, oh, God, I'm sorry. Man, what did I go there for again? I can't believe I said that. And so you have regret. You have pain. You ask God to forgive you. You ask that person to forgive you. And that's typically how we do things. We let it be that way. But why does it have to be that way? Why can't you stop the offense from happening in the first place? I'm not saying it's easy. But see, why get offended when... You don't really need to even go there. You can learn how to do it right. See, listen, don't be convinced that you have to be out of control because somebody else is out of control. You don't have to be out of control because somebody else is going off. Because somebody else is going nuclear doesn't mean you have to match them. you got to control what you can control. You think about these big ocean vessels, the ones that from one continent to another. They'll, they'll ship oil and, and supplies and very precious and valuable things. And, and they're designed, man, to go across the Pacific, across the Atlantic. They're amazing. They go through these amazing storms and, and the high waves, and they get from one port to the other port. Not a problem. They're designed that way. What they're not designed for is when the storm gets inside that vessel. When the storm ever gets inside that vessel, that vessel will break up before you know it and lose its valuable contents. We're the same way. God didn't make us to be able to deal with the storms inside of our soul. He made us so that the storms can stay out of us. And we are always stronger when we don't allow the storm to get in us. But we're not designed to handle the storm constantly in your soul. It wears you out. You get depressed. You get sick, you lose work, you lose prosperity, you lose your friends, you lose your relationship. We are not designed to get it on the inside. We're designed, love needs to be inside. Love belongs there. Love inside, storm outside. Amen. Love inside, storm stays outside. No love inside, guess what? Storm inside. And you can't survive. You're not made for that. You wonder why you had no friends, and you wonder why you go from relationship to relationship and church to church. It's just not meant to be that way. Be quick to forgive. Make up your mind now. I will not have a somebody done me wrong list. If you have that mental list, get rid of it. Don't be that person that knows where the sun was, what the birds were singing, the time of the day what they were wearing. Don't be that person because you've rehearsed it all your life or all those years you remember fine details. What does that mean to me? It means that you've rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it and you know exactly what's going on. 
I had marriage counseling with a couple that I was overwhelmed with. I thought, there's no way this is going to be salvageable. I started the marriage counseling that way. Overwhelmed thinking, I don't know. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, want to bail out of this because I, there's, just, there's just no way. This wife knew every detail about her husband. Everything he did, she had with such clarity. I'm thinking, whoa, this woman has an amazing memory. And finally, in one counseling session, I had enough. And I said, I finally figured out what you do. I said, you're an accountant. She said, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. No, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. We played this game for a few seconds. She finally said, I'm a teacher. I'm not an accountant. I said, you're not a teacher. You're an outstanding accountant. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I said, you have kept such great records of your husband's wrongs. This man can do no right. I'm not saying he's a prince, but there's no way he deserves for you to remember every detail. And finally, he drops a bomb. And he says, my wife has books I said, what do you mean she has books? She has journals with dates and the event and what I said that she reads over on a regular basis. I thought, no wonder why we're in this place. Well, to make a long story short, I had the privilege of helping her destroy those books. We ripped them up. And till today, this marriage is still alive. Only by God's grace. It sure wasn't something I had faith for. But once she destroyed those offenses, once she let it go, once she shook it off, once she opened up her heart and let love back in, today, you, you would think I'm lying if I pointed out the couple that's still in our church. You'd be amazed that that was the couple. See, we have a choice to make today. Forgiveness is the key to overcoming these offenses. It really is. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to forgive? And really, who really, who needs to forgive you? But you need to be in that place today where you make up your mind. It's true. When it comes to all your opportunities to be offended, shake them off. Don't let the poisonous snake bite you again. And let them go. Don't be the monkey. Tell your neighbor, don't be the monkey. I didn't say act like a monkey. I said, don't be the monkey. See, it's important that you make up your mind today. You don't control how other people act, but you can control how you act. It's time for you to begin to control what you can control. I can't control you. Most pastors think they can. That's not my job to control you. That's what I love about Pastor Derek. He's not a controlling pastor. Many pastors are. They try to control people's lives instead of helping you be set free. My job is easy. I tell our congregation all the time, I'm here to liberate you. I want you free. We're going to work with God's word and by the Holy Spirit to free you. But we can't control people. We can't control what people say. But I can't control me. I can be responsive and not reactive. Being reactive is always negative. The doctor says to you, wow, you're reacting poorly to this medicine. You're breaking out in a hive. It's, it's not working. It's, it's this and that. Uh, and, but then he says, you're responding well. See, respond is positive, and it's time for you to learn how to respond. But respond through activating the love of God. I pray today that something I said touched your heart. I pray today that it's fuel for something you can listen to later. It's one of those messages you don't hear one time. One of those messages that you have to hear over and over again. I pray that, that it was a, a, something in due season, something that came to your rescue today. That's what I prayed, that God, Lord, I, I, I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste Pastor Derek's opportunity here for, for this opportunity, that something said today will be the fuel necessary for you to walk out of here free. There's going to be people up here wanting to pray for you today. Let it go today. Shake it off. I know your pastor sings a song at that point in time, but I'm not going to go there. Somebody in first service told me about it, so I, I won't try to mimic him. But I believe with all my heart, 
that this really, truly can be a day of liberty for you. A day that you're finally no longer stuck. What have you been missing? What, what relationship should have been deeper, but you wouldn't let it because you got offended? Who should still be your friend today? But we wrote him off because when we got tested, it didn't go deeper like it was supposed to, but it got ruined. That's beside the point that's under the blood now, but let's learn our lessons. Let's allow the Spirit of God to bring you into a place of fellowship in this church, a place of serving, a place where you can finally surrender to your pastor, to the leadership of this church without fear. You can finally surrender, and you'll no longer say, it's that woman, it's that man, it's that this, it's that. You can say enough of it all and be free. And for the first time in a long time, begin to take a deep breath and be free to enjoy the connections that God so longs for you to have. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, Father, we bless you today. Come on, why don't you raise those hands towards heaven? It's a tender moment today, I know. It's a moment where, where we have to come in contact with something that sometimes makes us uncomfortable. But, Lord, we raise our hands and surrender to you. We raise our hands, Father God, in acknowledgement. Oh, we need you. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Most High God. We bless you today. Come on, won't you talk to him for a moment? Lift up your voice and tell him how much you need him today. Go ahead and tell him I love you, Lord. I bless you. I thank you for truth today. I thank you for the truth that sets me free today. Oh, I sense the presence of God in this place, and it's wonderful. I sense liberty in this place today. I sense healing and restoration in this place today. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I speak liberty to that captive soul today. In the name of Jesus, that pain, that broken heart, that heart that's been blown up in millions of pieces, that we don't even know how in the world we could ever put it back together again. Thank you, Father, for the healing process. Thank you for hope. Thank you, Lord God, for a desire to say, it's possible. I can let this go. I can shake this off. I don't have to be the monkey anymore. I don't have to let that snake keep biting me. I can walk in liberty and freedom today, and the process can start today of being who I really was meant to be and not allowing somebody else's words or actions or choices and decisions Make me something that I'm not. Father, we contend for the real gift that's before us today. We thank you, Jesus, for being our healer, for being our restorer, that in this tender moment, we need you so desperately, and there you are. There you are loving us through it all. There you are taking us by the hand, helping us to do it your way, not the way we're used to, not the way we were ever ready to do, but a new and living way. Living from the inner life, not the outer life. Living from the inside, not from the outside. Thank you, Father, for liberty and freedom in this place today. Something only you can do by your spirit in a moment of time. We intersect our soul with the presence of God and healing comes. As your heads are bowed, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's where true liberty begins. And you know you need Jesus today. You know you need your sins forgiven. You've tried everything on your own. It's not worked. It's gotten worse. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You're ready today to say yes to Jesus, to say a simple prayer to Jesus today. I pray that you'll open up your heart and say yes to him today. I pray you'll open up your heart and allow Jesus to come into your heart. At the end of the service, the host will give you some very important directions to those of you that are saying yes to Jesus today. For a brand new start can be yours. Father, I bless marriages today. I bless friendships today. I bless this church today. I speak peace over this church. Blessings over this church.
I pray deeper relationships. I pray, Father, those that are on the outside looking in will now begin to come closer and closer and be willing to say yes to your plan and purpose for their lives. I pray for those, Father God, that have lived overwhelmed, stuck, that today's a brand new day of liberty and freedom. The burden is lifted off their shoulders today, and they'll walk out of here a little higher, a little happier, a little freer. Lord, experiencing a process of liberty and freedom that only you can give. Come on, give God praise today. Yeah.